yesterday was Saturday, and next Saturday will be Saturday as well. And both of them had football. One of them more relevant to us. Yeah, we're in fis- <laughs> we're in fiscal game week. That's that's what really matters. Fiscal game week. Welcome to Chuckle Bell Curve, stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. Fiscal game week is what you just called it. Yep. You more eloquently put it. So yeah, we're, we're very excited to finally be releasing. This is uh, fifth season, fifth season, first episode. Um, and it is, it's a doozy. It's a, um, as they say on uh, the, the podcast I've been listening to most often is not another D&D podcast. And when you have a big one, you call it a thick sode. So this is a thick sode, y'all. <laughs> this is going to be a big one. <laughs> Top five thick sodes right here, CBC. So yeah, get yourself ready. Well, what I are we f- going to be going over today, though, Nathan? Well, I feel like every time we're in the off season, the off season is like our. It's sort of the reverse of the Bears hibernation cycle. The off season is our sort mm-hmm. of way on summer form or winter form, right? We're thin from, and we've only foraged like sticks for three or four months, you know. And we finally get <laughs> into late August, and I feel like the the sort of metaphorical. The, the forest is blooming and there is meat in the forest again to be had and we are going to start fattening up. So uh, a real thick soda, as you said. So we have some subjective <laughs> narratives. We have the old Winsipedia deep dive that we always do. We have a butt ton of stats. If you are the kind of person who is here at CBC for stats, then this is going to be a good episode for you because I have a lot of them. We have some over-unders. We have some predictions, things we want to see. And finally, we have... Uh, so everyone's favorite segment we have asked cbc and we have some really good questions so let's get into it um we always mm-hmm, start mm-hmm. with our subjective narrative so you want to hit us with some winsipedia historical data for this matchup yes i would love to so you know georgia clemson clemson georgia two teams that have met uh not as much as you know other bigger dynasties might have met but uh, pretty lopsided history here between these two teams 42 wins to georgia's uh uh team here clemson has 18 wins and four ties between the two there's a current win streak of one belonging to georgia last georgia win was in 2014 um and overall pretty pretty georgia lopsided i would say you know clemson is um a a team that's been around for quite some time obviously but uh being part of the acc and and not necessarily the sec has in a way i feel kind of hampered their uh their production overall but uh, they do have one more national championship than georgia does they have uh several more conference championships since they just seem to keep on winning the acc uh but every other data point as far as bowl games all-time wins bowl records etc etc all belong to Georgia. One thing I did find really interesting was that Clemson has never had a Heisman winner. Um, just odd. Uh, for hmm. I don't know. I feel like they, they're fairly kind of like sprinkled throughout, you know, the the leagues and these these bigger dynasty teams, which um, Clemson really only in in recent history I feel has has really come into its own as being a team that is a a heavier hitter, a heavyweight. Um, yeah, it's uh, been more of a dynasty league team. But. It's been it's been sort of. Uh, late in i guess the mid late mid 2000s when they really came sort of mm-hmm. to bloom uh sort of the taj boyd late class. bloomers yeah well late bloomers <laughs> relative to the history of college football but yeah it is weird uh-huh. that it's really odd to me that trevor lawrence never won the heisman is that weird like devonta smith totally deserved it but it's weird to me that trevor never yeah. won it 
Mm-hmm. I do, I do find that weird. Yeah, the the boy who's never lost a game essentially is is what they kind of. Yeah, I just sort of I, I uh, am mad. when you said they never had a Heisman. My first thought was, well, what about Trevor Lawrence? <laughs> Which, I, I don't know. I, I just no. I just assumed that he did. He just looks like every other. He looks like every other Heisman winner in the history of the Heisman Trophy. So, I guess I just mm-hmm. assumed. Um. Anyway, other um, other interesting things that I learned about Clemson. I didn't go too deep into just kind of their 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 fun facts. You know, I sometimes will find some fun facts about the teams we're playing. Um, but one thing I did find that I did think was super interesting is apparently there's like a there's a secret book. If you go to Clemson, you have to sign this secret book that sits in their library, uh, the Cooper Library. It's like a super um, restricted book, and everybody who goes to Clemson, all the students at some point have to sign the book. And I just want to know like. What ancient grimoire are you signing your name to? Like, I, I play too many RPGs uh, and and listen to too many things and read too many um, fantasy stories to know. I know better than to sign my name into any sort of. Uh, <laughs> there's that. Um, there's that word grimoire ancient book again. of any sort. Yeah, that's the, that's probably one of the 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 this, words of the season easily. Yeah, fell books of of knowledge. So, but uh, what other kind of subjective narratives are we hearing about this game? We, I feel like we've been basically subjective narratives all off season, so it's kind of fresh in our heads. You yeah, hit us with some. Well, I mean, I think you know JT Daniels from the Georgia perspective. These are all going to be kind of Georgia Georgia centrics, but I mean, I think JT Daniels. You know, this is his first sort of career uh, at, at Georgia, and I guess well at USC he started one year, but at Georgia this is his first year starting from day one, and he is de- certainly the guy, right? He has he has mm-hmm. both pressure and expectations and talent all sort of equal at this moment, and so I think it'll be really interesting to see how he responds to all of those things, and you know how mm-hmm. his how his production matches his pressure and talent and expectations. I mean, I. It just remains to be seen, though. I think that's something that we're going to really be seeing throughout the season. But I think this is a yeah. really big early test for Georgia writ large. But I think in particular that if Trevor Lawrence is going to have a Heisman run, it really starts today. It starts on Saturday, right? Basically, that's, I think. I mean, I, JT I, Daniels. I'm sorry. Sorry. JT Daniels. Sorry. <laughs> Trevor uh, Lawrence still on the brain. Yeah. If JT Daniels is going to have a Heisman run, it starts next Saturday. And I yeah. think he can do it. It's just, and there, and there's nothing saying that he can't win the Heisman if he has just an okay game on Saturday. But really, I think if he wants to be in the driver's seat, Saturday's the time to do it. Obviously, this has major implications on the season uh, for both of these teams. I think if you win this game, either one of these teams feels like they have a really good shot to go to the CFP. And if Clemson wins this game, I think they feel like you know, their shoe ends short of something disastrous mm-hmm. happening. But if Georgia wins, I think you got to feel like it just gives you insurance, right? I mean, if you beat Clemson and win the rest of your games and then lose to Alabama in the, in the uh, SEC championship, which is not a totally ridiculous scenario, you could still possibly, no. you could still possibly go to the CFP. So the, I think yeah. there's a lot of kind of weird scenario based stuff that really spins out of this game. I mean, in, in, I mean, do you have anything about those big macro ideas before we get into some of the more, spe- you know, specific to positions uh, narratives? Um, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of speculation about if Georgia wins this game, just like you said, it's a little bit of cushion uh, to kind of 
coast our way to the SEC championship. But I see a world in which we could win this first game and it shoots us to number three or it shoots us closer to number one. It could be two or one coming out of this, depending yeah. on how the um, other top two teams actually play next weekend or if they just kind of like a, have a normal time. I mean, um, it could be one of those things where we do lose and it won't matter at all. We'll go down to six or seven, maybe eight, um, unless we just get shut out. I think that we could get a little bit lower. But at the end of the day, you you win or you lose to Clemson, and it it's not that big of a deal either way. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's a it's big deal. It's very exciting, and we're going to ride that wave. It's a really interesting. It's a really interesting game in the sense that it is a big deal in terms of the biggest level of your goals for the season. But in mm-hmm. terms of what is still in front of you you're right it is it is a very interesting game in the sense that it very much matters yeah. but both of these teams think, have scenarios yeah. where they go to the cfp without this game right so yeah more than anything i think this game for us is a tone setter like mm-hmm. it sets the tone and for both of these teams really it sets the tone for us to defer- determine what are we going to do with this um new qb who everyone's very excited about starting out and for uh, you know, our receiving core, what's going to change, what it's going to look like based on, you know, just returning value and the injuries we have. And for Clemson, it's going to be, they have uh, a lot of question marks. And so we're going to have to see what sort of tone they set as well. So it's a tone setting game for both teams in a lot of ways. So I'm looking well, forward to it. Yeah. And I think the sort of transition into the more micro level of this, there is certainly an element of this game where there's a lot of questions that obviously for every team in the country, but there's a lot of questions you're going to get pretty stark answers to during this game, mm-hmm. right? So for UGA, I think positionally, uh, especially the, the defensive backs and receiving targets. So I would say, what well, you know, wide receiver and tight end in particular, what do we see out of them? What's the production like? Is it obvious that these, that these two positions are liabilities? Because I think with the injuries at both of those positions and areas on the field that if Georgia comes into this game and wins, it means that they got pretty good production from people who they did not expect to get production from at the beginning of the offseason, mm-hmm. right? And so there is there is sort of a swingy nature to this game just in terms of where my head's going to be at because I think there's a scenario wherein Georgia loses, but the wide receivers and the tight ends look really good even with all the injuries and the defensive decks look to be coming along. And I'm not really that upset about it, right? And I mm-hmm. and I think there's also a scenario where Georgia wins and I still have some questions. So I think I, I'm I think every time that you have a game of this magnitude to start the year, you're you're pretty jazzed up about it. But I think in particular this year, coming off of COVID, but also just with the sort of it seems like myriad of questions about this team, that we're gonna really find out a lot. And then I think the the sort of danger of this game is gonna be it, it's going to be really easy to make some real wild hot takes off of this game after, you know, seeing four quarters of football for the first time in a year or whatever. So I think, yeah, I, I would, I would caution all of you that, that if this is a loss, please do not like jump off the deep end. <laughs> um, so we have some stats, which is a very exciting thing to talk about. We actually yeah. have real stats. We have that, a lot. Of, we have a know, lot of stats. the off season. We're coming out of a drought here of stats since the offseason is the offseason. But um, I know you have a couple tables you were very excited about. Do you want to run through this first table of stats to kind of yeah. start setting the scene for us? Sure. So starting at just some big returning production and advanced statistics numbers, uh, a couple of things that I think are really, really interesting about this. One would be the 
one is just the Bill Connolly returning production rate. So overall, uh, Georgia has 62% returning. Uh, Clemson has 69% returning per Bill Connolly's numbers. But if you look at the breakdowns, mm-hmm. there's some really interesting sort of gaps on either side. When Georgia has the ball, Georgia has 84% of its returning offensive production coming back. Clemson has 92% of its returning defensive production. So to me, that feels like experience-wise strength on strength, right? Yeah. But when Clemson has the ball, even with all the talent that they have, Clemson has 46% returning production offensively, and Georgia has 39%. So wow. there are some sort of like strength on strength, weakness on weakness, strength on weakness sort of elements to this uh, game. And I think when Georgia has the ball, it's really going to be strength on strength. And I think a lot of this game is going to be decided when Georgia has the ball because that Georgia is relying on their offense doing really well. And Clemson is riding on their defense doing what really well just from a pure mm-hmm. experience production, right? Um, overall, you know, we have a lot of numbers, EPA, YPP, explosiveness, when bo- in both of these scenarios, Georgia with the ball, Clemson with the ball. And what you really look at when you have a comparative chart like this, this is, by the way, a chart you can see in our Discord if you want to get on our Patreon, mm-hmm. by the way. But what you're really looking for is if there is a difference, if, the, if you see a massive difference. So... Your, your general, if you have a good defense and a good offense, most of the numbers are going to be higher on offense, lower on defense, right? But what you're looking for is when you have that scenario reversed. And so the, a, a couple that I see that I think are really interesting, um, overall explosiveness when Georgia has the ball, Clemson is surrendering uh, 1.34 explosiveness. Uh, their, their explosiveness rate is 1.34. And Georgia's explosiveness rate offensively is 1.32. To mm-hmm. me, th- that's twofold. One, Georgia was not always consistently explosive last year the way that they should have been. Mm-hmm. But I think even more so, I think that maybe there are some opportunities for big plays against this team. Uh, I cut up some film in a Twitter uh, in a Twitter thread yesterday on my personal Twitter. And this is something we'll talk about later when we talk about the actual matchup. But I think that there are places on this Clemson defense where you can get them. There are... I think in particular in the in, in inside linebackers and sometimes safeties that they they can get out of position, especially in pass defense. And so I think that explosiveness number to me is intriguing. I think that we might see some what I would what I would qualify as like mid-tier explosive plays, right? That are technically explosive. They're over like 15 yards, but they're under like 40. That's sort of intermediate, long to intermediate pass play. I think that there are there is some opportunities for Clemson. Uh, interestingly enough, when when Georgia has the uh, when Georgia is on defense, when Clemson has the ball, there aren't really a lot of big, you know, sort of advanced stats, disparate places to look at. You know, even with a lack of returning production, both of these units, Clemson's offense and Georgia's defense, are sort of the core identities of their team. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's this whole thing that you when you talk about returning production, sometimes if you have a lot of returning production and your returning production sucks, it doesn't matter. But I think the inverse is also yeah. true here when you see Clemson with the ball, where if you if Clemson has the ball, there's not a lot of returning production on the field, but what is coming back is very, very good on both sides of the ball, if that makes sense. And, and mm-hmm. you know, if you think about it just through the lens of Georgia's defense, you would say like, okay, well, yeah, you're replacing a lot of defensive backs, but you also have the uh, uh, just all world beater defensive line, right? You uh, you have you have very good inside and outside linebackers. So I think, and I think that the same is true sort of like in both directions. So I think from a 10,000 foot view, this looks like a close game to me. 
this looks like a close mm-hmm. game where Clemson would be slightly favored, I guess is what I would say. Right. And pretty much every rating service has it right about there at that three point mark. Right. So yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think, let me No, go ahead. I was going to say, well, let me ask you th- this regarding the production value, uh, returning production value, because I think this is really interesting, what you just kind of said, and I want to expand on it a little bit more. But um, you said, it, you know, your returning production doesn't matter if it's bad. <laughs> it only matters if it's good, obviously. Right. Um, and what's neat about this is that when Georgia has the ball, as you said, and when uh, Clemson's on defense, we have all these stats um, for this returning production value. And so these stats are a lot more objective and a lot more we're able, they're more indicative of what the game will look like based on the mm-hmm. stats when Georgia has the ball. And mm-hmm. so um, with that being said, the inverse is true, obviously with Clemson having the ball, it's 46% of their returning production value. And when Georgia's on defense, 39% uh, returning production value. But with everything we've seen in the off season and heard and read and thought about um, what will be different, you think from these stats, because there's going to be a, bigger margin for difference based on these stats when Clemson has the ball and Georgia's on defense because of the significantly lower production returning. Does that make sense? Right. So what is the, are you asking, the question is, what is sort it, of, what's, what's the disconnect? Yeah. No, what's well, the, yeah. Well, I know the disconnect is just different players, obviously, but because of that, what is the, is there going to be a difference in uh, like schematically you think, or what will we, what will we see immediately more of the same that we've seen in the past or what sort of things have we been working on the most that will make a big difference in these data? Well, I think, well, okay. A couple of things. One, I think yeah. that given the nature of how last year's UGA team worked and how the season went, especially when UGA has the ball on offense, I'm not sure that, the nation writ large has fully processed the change in Georgia's offense. We have a question about this uh, mm-hmm. regarding a comment from Aaron Murray, but they're, they're actually really smart people who are really good journalists. So I really respect their thoughts on the, you know, college football writ large that, you know, haven't quite bought that Georgia has modernized its offense yet. And I don't think that that's really accurate. And I don't think that, and I think that's something that if you look at these stats, you might think, well, you know, pretty good EPA, pretty good this, pretty good that, right? Pretty, you know, over 0.2 EPA overall is pretty good. Uh, you know, slightly less than Clemson's offense, pretty, very good explosiveness, you know, pretty good success rate, pretty good pass and rush EPA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you, you look at that and you, you might be tempted to think that, well, Georgia's halfway there in this modernization. And I think the biggest difference you're going to see this year with a full off season is that, this is a very modern power air raid offense. That's what they do. They run, you know, zone, well, not power in the sense of like they run the play power, but power in the sense of they want to run the ball. They want to run zone gap schemes and RPOs based off of that. They want to run, you know, read option stuff and they want to throw the ball deep. And I think we saw some of that, but, you know, Todd Munkin has been on record as saying that only 30% of the offense is in. So I think from a just purely aesthetic standpoint that you're going to start to see a lot more exotic stuff from Georgia offensively, if only in formations and pre-snap motion. I think that in particular in this Clemson game, we can talk about this more in a second in terms of the particulars I expect, mm-hmm. but I, I would say you're going to see some weird formations from Georgia in this game. I think we're going to see a bunch of tight trips. I think you're going to see some more exotic like pre-snap movement of like put, put three guys in tight trips, move them out to the outside and then have one of them motion across the inside guy motions across in orbit, stuff like that, which is all vintage air raid. But we just 
that's not from just a fundamental aesthetic standpoint, like how the team looks on the field. We're not used to seeing that from Georgia. And I think that most people who are not Georgia fans haven't quite processed that. Like, this is just what Georgia's offense is. That's what Todd Munkin runs. This is not some sort of like flash in the pan because JT Daniels is a good quarterback. Right. And I think that is the thing that is not reflected in the stats when Georgia has the ball. Certainly. Mm -hmm. And one key piece of uh, data that I really love, and we were talking about this before, um, and one that sticks out just from last year is the when Georgia's on defense, the rush EPA, uh, teams statistically lose points when they rush against Georgia. Is that something that you think we will continue to see? Or how will that specific piece of data be changed? Or how is that going to translate? Yeah, so if... Yes, I think that is something that's going to continue to change. Um, you know, mm -hmm. the average PFF run D grade returning is 66.3 um, of all returning defense uh, players on Georgia's defense, and that includes like walk-ons and third strings. That's very high for such a big number, right? You know, around 70 is very, very good. So I think... I think, yes, this is going to still, uh, this is going to be a hellacious team to run on. And I think if you look at the returning mm -hmm. production, particularly in the front seven, you can really see that. Like, I mean, I don't know how you run an interior gap or zone team, uh, scheme against Jordan Davis, Terrell Walthier, Jalen Carter, Trayvon Walker. And those are just like your defensive linemen, right? And then I have it on good authority that Adam Anderson has gained some weight. I have. I've seen mm -hmm. him like he looks a little more bulked up. If you look, you are at, the authority. <laughs> yeah, I'm the guy. If you look at Jordan Davis, like Jordan Davis has lost some weight. He's still at 350, but he looks trim at 350, which for the record is terrifying. I would be yeah. like the guy from Monty Python's uh, Meaning of Life who eats all of the food and then blows up if I weighed 350 pounds. <laughs> like that's that's significantly more than I weigh. Right. Like, and I'm mm -hmm. a big man. And so for him to be carrying that weight with such surety and such sort of just sveltness is, I think it speaks to his level of like, just, uh, as they would say in soccer fitness. Right. And I think mm -hmm. that any, anything you hear about George's D line all the way through camp has just been hellacious, hard to match up with causes problems, gets in the backfield. And I don't really think that that's going to change. Uh, Georgia has a very good returning inside linebacker core. Uh, you know, apparently Quay Walker is day to day, but should be able to play. And Kobe Dean is probably one of the best returning inside linebackers in the conference. He didn't make the all conference team, which was suspect. The whole all conference team was suspect for large, but whatever. Uh, I think, you know, you have dudes in who are going to be your sort of uh, edge guys, your, your guys who are the overhang player in your star position, you know, even with the injury to Tyke Smith, the guys that you're bringing in at star Latrevious, Brenny, Amir speed, maybe both of those dudes are run defender specialist almost, right? You would like them to mm. be your star run defenders, right? They're big for defensive backs. They look like they play safety. They both play safety at times, right? Because of safety depth. So yeah, I don't, I don't think that's changing. That's a long way of saying, mm -hmm. I, I think Clemson is going to have to beat Georgia in the air. And, and that's really what yeah. it's going to be. So you got uh, you got a few notes here on the subjective stuff. So so how does that subjective stuff? You want to go down that list of subjective things and how it matches up with the data we have sitting here. Defensively, or in terms of subjective narratives and their sort of relationship to stats in this game, I think you know obviously one of the things that's really relevant to the outcome of this game is how both of the defensive lines play, and you know I think it, the stats bear that out. I think when you look at 
the the sort of narrative coming in this game is how do these offensive lines deal with the defensive lines and i think that's kind of the full game i think and mm-hmm. we could talk some more specifics about we have specific matchup data that we'll talk about in a second but i, I don't think that, that is just a subjective narrative i think it's borne out in the actual just top level advanced stats i mean if you look at rush epa surrendered on both of these teams if you look at pass rush rush average pff grade i think those are great i mean I think the other the other sort of big narrative, and this is honestly the big narrative in every major college football game in the in the modern era, is just how do these two quarterbacks play. But I think there are some interesting things going on last uh, in in this matchup. I think in terms of narrative, so you have D, DJ Uwe Longale, uh, Uwe Longale. There we go. Uwe Longale. I'm going to try it one more time. <laughs> I, you have DJ Uwe Longale. And you have yeah, JT Daniels. I put the pronunciation there in our notes. <laughs> yeah. And and I think I hold on. Before I say that, I want to say I'm actually making a good faith effort to I'm not making fun of his name. I'm making a good faith effort to to pronounce it. I'm just dumb. Oh, absolutely. So please, yeah. no one take this as me making fun of him. So the emergence of both of these quarterbacks and how they're treated in the narrative, I think is really interesting. So last year, uh, DJ will say for convenience, mm-hmm. played two games, one against a very, very, very good Notre Dame game and one against a Boston college, Notre Dame team and one against a Boston college team that is not very good. He did yeah. a very good job in both of them and, you know, lit up Boston college and had a, yeah. I would say uh, above average, slightly past working workmanlike game against Notre Dame. And, you know, you had Trevor. Or, so he had those two games under his belt and you have JT Daniels with a full year of starting experience at, USC and then five games and the last five games of Georgia season last year. So I think it's just very interesting and I get why this is, but I think the general prevailing feeling is that of the two of them, the sure bet is DJ Ui Longale. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of interesting to me. I mean, I, I get there's a, there's a recency bias uh, B. I think there's a bias towards potential. Right. And so you definitely think as a, mm-hmm. as a running quarterback, DJ, has a lot of potential that JT does not, but I, it's interesting to me how these two quarterbacks are being treated, right? You have, I mean, fewer games, fewer snaps against worse opponents, right? Versus more games against better opponents. And we're giving the sure thing to the guy with less experience. I think Mm -hmm. he's going to, I think both of these guys are going to be great. And I think DJ is going to be great too, but I think that, People are sort of penciling it in as fait accompli that he's just going to come out and have a very good game. And I don't know that we have evidence that that's the case against a a uh, def- defense of this caliber because he's never played a d- defense of Georgia's caliber. I mean, and we exactly yeah we, we can almost one to one this right. I mean, it's a season apart, but like, what was the thing that we said every time that Notre Dame played? Every time Notre Dame played Georgia, or both times they played Georgia over the last few years, 2017, 2019, the first thing we mm-hmm. said after both of those games was, it's very clear that there are some levels of this team at which Georgia is out recruiting and just has better bodies than Notre Dame. And so mm-hmm. I think, and and look, he may come out and light up Georgia's defense. It's totally oh, yeah, possible. He might be the next Deshaun Watson. I have no doubt of that. But... The idea that that's just going to happen because he's a Clemson quarterback with a Hawaiian last name and he can run, I, I don't. I think it's it's sort of being overcounted, and so that's that's one thing that I'm very interested in. And then I, I think the the final sort of subjective thing and how it matches up to the narrative that I don't have an answer for. 
I have kind of an answer for those last two things, but something I don't have an answer for and that I don't think the stats really answer is what do we see out of UGA's receivers, right? And their mm-hmm. tight ends. I yeah. think we there's a lot of talent still on the field for UGA when it comes to catching the ball. I don't know where that production is going to come from. I have some guesses, but I don't think that any of us... I mean, the, the names that we're used to seeing are just not there. So I'm not sure... Yeah what the thought i i don't know what we're going to see and i don't really think that there's anything in the stats that that answers that question they yeah they 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 don't definitely we definitely have some i mean we have some pieces of it all like we've seen some production out of some of these receivers and the titans of course and especially in like our uh our our special teams too like kiaris jackson uh returning punts and everything and same with uh you know zamir white and uh third person who returned a bunch of kicks last year is escaping me but um, I wonder though, like if, Cook, you know, we're, James, we're framing James it Cook. one way. Thank you, James Cook, um, our tiny fast boy, but we're framing it one way and thinking like, we don't know where it's going to come from. And it sounds really negative and that there, you know, there's a lot of question marks that feel bad. But if you reframe it for a moment, that's got to be to an extent what Clemson is facing right now as well in preparing for this game is that they also don't know where that production is going to come from. Typically, you know, you would make sure you cut off George Pickens in the same way that we're going to try and cut off Justin Ross, I imagine. So it makes it a bit predictable, but the unpredictability may hopefully turn out to be a boon for us rather than something uh, to, to be afraid of. Does that make sense? You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think there's certainly some, I, there is some un, I, I, there's a degree to which uncertainty does make it harder to game plan, right? And yeah, and I think in a moment we can talk about the specifics of that. But I think that mm-hmm. it's one of those things where I think we have a lot of pre-built-in assumptions, right? And it's something that mm-hmm. I'm trying to cure myself of as well as sort of kind of a downer of a person when it comes to UGA. But <laughs> you do not like maybe UGA's curse, maybe they're snake bit. They have all these injuries at inopportune times, whatever fine right but anyway if we took the names off the jerseys i think we would be seeing some more a lot more intriguing aspects of uh, of in particular georgia's offense so let's move on and let's talk about some more uh stats about uga in general uh, i i've pulled up a bunch of comparative stats for both of these teams and i and i'm interested in what you think about them a lot of sort of the more subjective stuff mm. with with pff grades that we have access to now you know pff grades i know get a lot of criticism and a lot of people don't like them but i think they are an interesting way to look at just sort of average quality average quality of production that idea not just of how much you're returning but how good is what you're returning right and so looking at the charts i have is there anything that sort of stands out to you oh definitely george's rushing game is just yeah that yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm looking through it we've got 308 rushing attempts returning. Um, let's see, 16 of our rushing touchdowns from last year. Uh, the people responsible for those are returning. 340. Like, it's just, it's bonkers the run game that's returning, especially compared to Clemson. They relied so heavily on Travis Etienne, and it shows in the stats. And so just yet another question mark of of value, I guess, of, of what is it they're bringing? Yeah. Is it as good? Is it, you know, is it going to be the same or not? Here's my, I'm, I'm going to spoil one of my takes on this game. I think mm-hmm. Georgia's going to run the hell out of the ball. Well, yeah. and, and there's two reasons for that. One, average PFF rushing grade returning 78.9, 78.9 for Georgia, 66.5 for Clemson. That 78.9 is very, very good. 
right? Mm -hmm. Second, if you look at the strength of this team, and this is numbers that I'm getting from PFF, which I got from DogStats, who is going to have a very cool piece about just sort of like defensive line and offensive line uh, of these two teams coming out in, in, on Dog Sports tomorrow, I think. But if you look at the PFF grades for these uh, for the Clemson's defensive line, there's really interesting. So like, this is what's interesting. Okay. So you got Brian Breezy and Miles Murphy who are, are Clemson's two biggest sort of like big name defensive line players, right? So Brian Breezy has a 81.2 pass defense grade from PFF, but a 57.5 run defense grade. Now, inversely, mm-hmm. Miles Murphy has a 67% pass grade and a 92.5 run grade. But then when you get below those two, Justin Mascal and KJ Henry, 49.5 run grade, 57.7 run grade, right? Even if you go even deeper, Reagan Upshaw, 70.1 at run, 71.8 run grade, which is above average, pretty good. Trey Williams, 67.4. All I'm saying is that the dudes who started games last year, of the four guys with the most games played, KJ Henry, Justin Mascal, Miles Murphy, Brian Breezy, four of them have below average run defense grades, right? Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see us just run away from you're going to see us run away from Miles Murphy. I, I I honestly think we're going to run this. We're going to run the ball like 30, maybe 30 times, 40 times, maybe like, I mean, so? I, I think we very well may, you know, if we have a hundred offensive snaps, I think we might have, it might be closer to 50 to 50 than people are comfortable with. But I think there's a uh-huh. very specific reason for that was just that I think UJ thinks it can wear down this line defensively. And, and I think, if that if they can do that if they can wear down this defensive line then it makes things easier in the pass game and i know that like when you hear me say that it probably gives people sort of like vietnam war era style flashbacks right but Mm -hmm. i think there's actually reason to do this i think that you know james skalski is their inside linebacker who is just sort of a beater inside he's like a kind of a faster taller monty rice type but he can be a liability in coverage. And so I think the two areas you attack are you attack the defensive line. Uh, you, you attack Brian Brzee and KJ Driscoll on the, on the ground and you attack James Scalsi in the air as a Skalski in the air, which is, I think that's what you're going to see um, ultimately. Hmm. Um, another thing that's sort of coming up to me in terms of just looking at uh, sort of PFF grades returning. Um, if we look at like the, our Clemson's defensive line versus our offensive line. There's an kind of, there's obviously a gap where PFF wise, their defensive line has a better sort of they're they're It's just better, right? Um, their defensive line, yeah. uh, their pass, their pass or rush defense grade 65.7, our pass block grade 59.8, our uh, run block grade, you know, 68.4, their run D grade 65.7. So, or sorry, 57.1. So you can see like Clemson's defensive line is going to have an advantage against us when we drop back to pass, right? I yeah. don't know that we naturally, we naturally assume that that advantage is going to maintain when we, when we, when we hand the ball off to run, but I don't know that it is right. And I think that's borne out in the PFF grades. I think it's borne out in the relative EPAs surrendered. And I think overall, if you just look at the type the profile of players that are being recruited on the on those two sides that it kind of makes sense, right? Brian Brzee is sort of a pass rush guy. Miles Murphy now, he is like he is a Jordan Davis, but like I think that there are some dudes who you can get in the run game. Um on the inverse side of things, I think Clemson 
Clemson's offensive line, interestingly enough, is going to have more problems running than is going to have more problems running than um, they do passing in terms of just yeah. sort of protection, right? They have a 63.6 pass block grade, 62.2 run block grade returning per PFF. Georgia's defensive line, they have uh, their run D is 65.7. Their pass rush is 59.8. So I, it's, I think it's going to be interesting the sort of games within games within games, right? And I think the mm-hmm. two matchups of this of these two lines on on either side are basically what's going to decide the game. But I think in particular, not just like how well does the offensive line hold up on both sides, but specifically how well does the offensive line hold up in executing the game plan, right? So if Georgia is going to run the ball forty five times, and they're going to be committed to that. A, they're going to run fewer plays, which is an interesting decision against Clemson. But B, they are going to they. That's a different kind of challenge than trying to drop back and throw it fifty times against this defensive line, which I don't think they're going to do yeah. because they can and will. That Clemson's defensive line can and will wreak havoc in, you know, in the pass rush. So, yeah, I have a. I don't yeah, know. They I definitely mean, will. I'm talking myself in circles, kind of, where it's like I feel like for every reason that I can give you that. Georgia might win. I can come up with another reason that Clemson might. Yeah, I mean it's hard, especially looking at all these stats, because this this Clemson defense, you know, I I am inclined to to want to kind of poo poo Clemson for a lot of reasons. One of them just being that they're an ACC team, and you know, the kind of the question of like what competition in their league they haven't lost an ACC game since like 2017 when they lost to Syracuse. It's just bonkers, but somehow this team still gets better and it comes down to the coaching and and just the talent that they continue to recruit. And it is scary looking at, for instance, like the total pressures returning for Clemson uh, compared to Georgia's, you know, 138 to 50. It's it's stuff like that that I'm like, oh, that's a big disparity. And so I, I do think it's going to be a really difficult game to watch. But I think you're correct when you say the key to winning this game is definitely going to be on the ground for Georgia, as it always is. And we say it all of the time. But the biggest disparity for Georgia here when Georgia can score points is the rushing game. Um, and it's just going to be a tough game, but it's going to be, I think that's where it lays. It's, you know, we have less question marks there with a lot more experience there and we have a proven track record on the ground just based on these stats alone. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. I hope that works. (laughs) So, uh, let's, let's sort of transition into, uh, some things we want to see. Uh, I've been talking a lot. Some things we want to see. Do you want to talk about? Do you want to think about talk about something you want to see? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, you've you've said it already before is that this game looks like a you know by most standards and most uh, most folks that are reporting it, it's a three point difference um, with it leaning towards Clemson. Uh, but as we get closer to the game, it might change a little bit. But I don't think it's going to change a whole bunch. But what that tells me really is like it, I think Clemson wins thirty percent of the time and it's really hard for me to believe that that is true with just a three, three point spread. But if we're going to go down that UGA that, wins 30% of the time, I believe, excuse me. Yeah. UGA wins 30% of the time. It's, it's hard for me to go down that, um, that line of thinking without trying to, to kind of piece together what that looks like, uh, just in practice. And so the three point spread, is it going to be a special teams win? Is it going to be, um, whoever wins the break point and then gets a stop? Is it going to be whoever just gets a stop and then kicks it in at the very end of the special teams? Is it going to be a, a point for point kind of game? Um, and, and just kind of based on what we're seeing from these notes and the data that you've gathered here, it kind of looks like 
it's going to be, hopefully, if our run game does get started in the way that we hope for it to, it's going to have to be a point-for-point kind of game with a stop coming down at the end. Um, And I think that that 70% leaning towards Clemson, um, it comes because their defense is much more proven at right this moment because of the returning production value. But um, I do think, you know, all that being said, things that I want to see is I want to make sure that we do go point for point with them. It's a close game until the very end. And then we do find the, the, uh, the break point there. Um, Our special teams are still our special teams, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we say it, uh, I think we said it many times at this point over the seasons is that special teams do win games, defense wins games, but special teams is kind of the, the secret sauce, you know, um, and, and we've got a lot of returning production in our special teams as well, which we haven't actually gone through any of the stats for those. But um, I think that's going to make a big difference, especially with our uh, with with Bob Lesney and uh, Jake Camarda. We still are the f- fifth best team from last year for punt returns. Um, and of course, with Camarda, we have an outstanding walk on turn scholarship player that uh, will put it exactly where he wants to put it and needs to put it over and over again and make Clemson earn the points. And so all those question marks that they have on their offense are going to be tested because of our special teams and hopefully because our defense with all of its question marks that need to be tested um, are coming to play and they're holding them um, as often as uh, they're holding us, you know? So really, I guess, to to kind of dial it down and kind of dilute it is things I want to see is I I want to see a a, a point-for-point game. I want to see both teams starting the season well, and I want to see the tone set for the rest of the season for us. What about you? Okay, well, I don't don't know how to be... I'm going to try to be as delicate about this as possible. So I have things that I want to see, and then I have Mm -hmm. things that I think are going to see... that I think we're going to see. And Mm -hmm. I'll talk about the first category... or the second category first in terms of things I think that we're going to see. And before I talk about this, I don't know how to say this. These are informed opinions. I, I'm not <laughs> going to say that I have a source. I'm not a journalist. But just based on things that I have heard and things that I have seen, these is, this is what I think we're going to see. So uh, be prepared to recast this clip after the game. And hopefully I do, it's not a cold takes exposed type deal. So mm-hmm. I think we're going to see us working the middle. I think we're going to try to get Skalski in coverage. I think we're going to see angle routes, some drags. We're going to see some slants. And I think the three key players in terms of working the middle for us are going to be Jackson, Kyrus Jackson, James Cook, and sort of the sort of newcomer to this list, Lad McConkey. I think Lad McConkey, if you look at his profile, he looks like a guy, great name, yeah, but he looks because he's a white guy. You would assume that he is sort of like a, a white possession receiver. And he certainly is, but I think that, you know, he's six feet, almost 200 pounds, like 185 or something. He is a bigger dude than you think he is. He has very good short area quickness. Uh, He runs very, very crisp underneath routes. He has great burner, burner level speed. I would not be shocked if he had a big day and I would not be shocked if they tried to get him in the middle of some of Clinton's zone stuff. Uh, Brent Venables runs a bunch of different stuff. But he likes to do zone. He likes to do uh, zone blitzes, and I think if you see the opportunity from if if UJ sees the opportunity to get Scalsi and McConkey one on one, I think they're going to try to target that. I think specifically the way they're going to do that is they're going to use a bunch of tight formations. I think you're going to see tight two by two. I think you're going to see tight trips. I think you're going to see a lot of pre snap movement. I think you're going to see a lot more of an exotic looking offense formationally and just aesthetically on the field than you saw last year because 
if last year, you know, you had X amount of success with 30% using 30% of the offense. And this year, you know, you have 80 or 90% of the offense in, how does it just look different? And I think in particular, you're going to see a lot coming out of the tight trips formation and trips. I think they're going to try to work the trips formation into getting McConkie and or Brock Bowers on that inside of that trips formation. Uh, Brock Bowers may be more to chip block, but also to run inside routes. Uh, I also think you're going to see from the slot or from tight trips, you're going to see a lot of sort of uh, intermediate to deep interior routes. I think we're going to see uh, some skinny posts. I think you're going to see the seam. Um, and I think that on top of all, that is all going to be laid on top of a steady dose of inside zone, outside zone, split zone. I think UGA might think that we can run outside on these guys. Uh, mm. You know, I think, you know, it's going to be difficult to run on the inside, especially if you're running right towards Miles Murphy. But I think that we are going to do our best to to game plan around him. So I think you're going to see not just inside zone, but some trap. I think you're going to see some kick blocks. I think you're going to see double teams on to Murphy. I think you're going to see split zone coming across, right? Where you have a tight end coming across to the backside of the formation at the snap, trying to like specifically target Brian Brzee, um, who is usually on that outside edge. So I, I think this is all a long way of saying that I think the game plan is going to be a little bit less open than we think, right? I don't think that even though mm-hmm. I, I do think this is a very modernized offense from UGA, but I don't think that we're going to see, you know, five guys at the edge of the fields throwing it downfield all the time. There's going to be an element of that to the game, but I think we're going to try to work the center of the field a little bit more. Uh, I think the angle route is going to be a big deal. I think if you look at oh, the way Ohio State targeted Clemson last year in the CFP, I think that's a pretty good model. Now, UGA certainly doesn't have a Chris Olave, but they have some guys who Mm -hmm. can work the middle of the field and run some zone beater interior routes, right? And I think they have some running backs in particular who can come out of the backfield on swings and angles and even wheel routes who can put pressure on the linebacking and safety core. Um, Mm -hmm. Things I want to see, uh, no snapping (laughs) issues, right? Cedric Van Pan looks like he's going to start at center. uh, And if he can have a clean game, that's a big deal. I think... I also would really like to see big plays from uh, Latavius Brinney or Mere Speed. Just whoever, probably going to be Latavius Brinney, whoever's filling in at the star position. Uh, if he can have a good game, that that will really put a lot of pressure on Clemson to make some plays downfield, which, you know, DJ has proven that he can do. But if we can, if, if the star plays well, we can probably keep him contained and, and eliminate him as a running threat to some extent. And if you can do that, you take away a dimension of his offense, which I think is really important. Uh, finally, I just want to see good footwork from JT, right? Don't hold on the ball mm-hmm. too much. When you throw it down deep, don't let that back foot come up. And, you know, I think if we see all of those things, you've got a pretty good chance. You're not, you're not like guaranteed, but you know, I think you're, you're, if you see a good JT game and you see a good game from the center and then you see a good game from whoever's at the star and then Keely Ringo, probably, you know, whoever's at your cornerback positions, I think you probably have, you know, more like a 40 or 50% chance to win at that point. All right. Now that I've like gotten myself excited, let's talk about over-unders. <laughs> let's do that. Yeah. Uh, we didn't really talk much about Justin Ross at all. Um, you know, being one of the the star players in this Clemson team. And my first over-under is, of course, having to do with him. So over-under one and a half touchdowns to Justin Ross. I'm going to say under. I think. Yeah. You th- I- I've heard he's back 100%. Um, and I believe mm-hmm. that, you know, I don't, I don't think 
that anyone at Clemson is sandbagging his health. It seems like they took a long time to um, a long time to bring him back and really got him through the acclimation period quite slowly. But I do think that I don't think that it's just you come back from an injury like that and what was apparently like a very life threatening condition, right? And I don't think really? you come back no. well, not not life threatening, but like a serious spinal injury kind of thing. Jeez. And I don't think that you come back from that and just are like at top form on day one. Mm-hmm. Um, I I seem to believe I I kind of tend to believe more or less uh, the same as you that you know I I think he's kind of a, a wild talent. He's somebody that's really he defines the role on his own and he makes it his own. But like you said, he's coming from a really uh, intense injury. Um, and I think that that is the one thing we know we have to contain um, if we're going to beat Clemson. So I'm going to say under, I think he gets one. He's going to have to get one on an explosive, like something dumb, probably, you know, shaking cobwebs sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I think under. What about you? Uh, 2.5, over under 2.5 touchdowns from UGA running backs. 2.5 seems like a lot. Um, especially considering my next over under, which I'll get to in a second. I, I do think it's probably going to be under, I think two touchdowns feels good. Three feels like if we get three touchdowns, I feel like we've won the game. Um, cause I think we'll get at least one through the air. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. If I think if we get to 28 points, I feel good about this game. Um, Especially just, it, it seems like, you know, if we get to 28 points against Clemson, then we're doing something right. Our offense showed up. Um, yeah. They'll probably be yeah. scoring just as many points. But yeah, I say, yeah, I'll say under. Hit me. Okay. Um, I'm going to also, oh God, it's like what I think is going to happen. What I'm thinking, what I'm outlining that's going to happen in these over-unders versus what I think is going to happen in my prediction is me. I'm, I'm uh-huh. sort of at an impasse here. Hold on. Let me think about it. <laughs> I guess I kind of want to say over because I just think uh-huh. that we're going to run the hell out of the ball. And I think that we might have a couple of explosive running plays. Uh, mm, I'm going to say under. I think two is probably the right number. I think, yes. I think you're right. If it's three, then you're in really good shape. It's a good thing. It's yeah. a very good thing. Yeah. yeah. If it's three, we're, we're coming out swinging for sure. Um, I've got another one. This is just the, the, the straight up spread for this game or not the spread, excuse me. This is just a straight up, um, total over under for this game is 51 and a half points. And so we'll talk a little bit more about it with our actual score predictions, but that seems low for two, hopefully high powered offenses to, to come out and, and do, you know, um, do we expect this game to be in the twenties? Both defenses are holding both these teams, you know, and holding them accountable. Or is it one of those things where we're like, this gets out of control and it becomes an offensive battle back and forth. Um, so where do you stand on that? I, I'm going to take over, but I think we are going to catch the over in the fourth quarter. I think, I think there's a pretty good chance that both of these teams are under 28, 35 points. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think obviously your default reaction on a first game is to, you know, err on the side of unders just because that's your sloppiest mm-hmm. game offensively. I think that, these are two very good defenses, and I think that Clemson's line in particular is probably – I think both offensive lines are going to be a little bit overmatched, which I think we've gone into in depth. But I think in particular yeah. that Clemson's yeah. offensive line is going to be overmatched, especially in the run game. So I, I'm – yeah, I'm going to say under, but I think it's going to be like very, very close. Like it's going to – no. Mm. <laughs> 
I'm going to say over, but I think it's going to be over by like one point. <laughs> I think it's going to be like 52, yeah. 53 total. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a weird game. Um, what's your... Oh, uh, I'll, I'll say mine. I think it's going to be... It's going to... Like, that's exactly what I have as well. Like, I think it's like one point. I think it's going to be a 52 points total um, in this game. So um, I'll say over, but barely. <laughs> and what's your last one? Um, well, I have two last ones and we can do these together. Uh, over under three sacks for both teams, for either team. It's hard to say. And this is why it's hard to say. Um, these teams didn't sack a bunch last year, if I remember correctly. And also looking at the PFF data just a moment ago, just the returning value on sacks. Georgia's not returning a whole lot. They're only returning three total sacks responsible for this, this, this defense. Um, uh, Clemson's returning 11 which is a great deal, but that's still less than one per game. And so three seems like a lot. I know that you've seen a lot more uh, and you've been reading a lot more about uh, how we've kind of set up this, this linebacker core, but it is still too much of a question for me. I think it's going to have to be under. Under for both? Yeah. Or you, you said, oh, both of them. I'm sorry. You hit me yeah, with both. Yeah, either way. Um, yeah. I think it's under for both. Yeah. I kind of think it's going to be over for both. I think that both of these teams' offensive lines have questions. It's weird, but I think it could be under for for Clemson, but Clemson could still win. I don't want to get but sacked I, by the big Clemson boys. Yeah, well, I think it's going to happen. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> it's going to happen at least once or twice. Yeah. We have an over-under in our Ask CBC question, so I'm going to save my last one for that. Uh, so okay. let's, let's actually talk about predictions. What are your overall predictions for this game? Paint me a beautiful picture, a tapestry with your oh, words. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> okay, so I think this is a game that's probably more low scoring than people expect it to be. I think it should be very tight in coming into the second half. I think that both offenses are going to have moments of brilliance and moments where they have a pick six or a fumble or a big sack, right? I think that it's going to be a one possession game for most of the game. I feel like I just, with what Georgia is missing, I hate to make the most heartbreaking prediction possible, but with what Georgia is missing, to me, this feels like Clemson 28, UGA like 27, something like that. Uh-huh. Like I think I think UGA might like score a touchdown to make it a two-point game. A one yeah. point game at the end, basically, and still come yeah. up short on like a, an onside kick. And I, that sucks because I'm going to be there. So I yeah. don't want that to happen. I want to be clear. Uh, but I, it just sort of feels like, well, A, there's the pessimist in me that feels like whatever the worst possible thing that could happen is the thing that's going to happen. And mm-hmm. B, I just, man, the injuries. I think if we had Tyke Smith, I might change this. I might change yeah. this prediction, but it just feels like to me that, you know, eventually there's going to be a moment in this game where you're like, if we had this guy, that might not have happened. Yeah, that's definitely going to happen. I, th- I definitely think that the the biggest question marks for me going into this season are how do we handle the corners? Um, and I, I, I think this will be a game won or lost on the corners for Georgia. Um, in both sides of the ball, you know, how are we getting the ball down the field and how are we protecting 
and preventing Clemson from getting the ball down the field, down the corners as well. Are we keeping, uh, are we becoming more explosive than we have been? Are we keeping Clemson from being as explosive as they have been? You know, um, and that's kind of what it's going to be. So if we're doing all of those things and it's a game where we're just trading points until the end and waiting for a break point, I do think we can get away with this game. I went back and forth and trying to decide if this is a, a, a Georgia 27-24 or Georgia 28-24. Um, and I finally landed just on 28-24 because I think that if we're going to win this game, we're going to have to be going for the points. We're not going to want to tie this game or go into overtime. Um, and I think that's going to be one of the deciding factors. So I'll, I'll wear the rose-tinted glasses for us. So with our predictions out of the way, then, we do have our last uh, segment. Well, not our last segment, but our favorite segment. It is our Ask CBC segment. So if you ever want to see your questions answered on the show, make sure that you get them into us before our episodes come out. So uh, sometime earlier in the week or just follow us on Twitter and uh, just tweet them at us. Hit them with it. So our very first question comes in from Irked Russell. Is Terrence Edwards the damn goodest dog? For training wide receivers and having a UGA influence? I mean, obviously, yes. <laughs> he seems like a really good guy. Uh, also, also, like, yeah. if he's funneling wide receivers to Georgia, like, oh, no. It's not the worst oh, thing that's no. ever happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, second question comes from Krispy Kreme or Dunkin' Donuts. And what is your favorite flavor of donut? The real important content. I, I am... <sighs> I'm not really that into either of them. Like I, I guess crisp, I guess Dunkin' Donuts. I'm not, I'm not a big like light airy donut guy. Like I like a good cake donut. I love a yeasty donut, and there's like a really an, lovely place in Atlanta called Revolution Donuts that's like, oh yeah, but okay. See, their yeasty donuts have some like chew to them. They actually have yeah, a little yeah. mouthfeel. Like I feel like Krispy Kreme donuts are just mostly air. Like you eat them and you're mm-hmm. like, what just happened? That was 300 calories. Yeah, where did it go? Where, where did it go? My favorite, uh, I really like a really good crueler, like an old school oh, yeah. crueler. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, ugh, like that's, a good crueler, uh, un, un, crawler, whatever, un, unbeatable. <laughs> that's my Krispy Kreme. I like them for their crawlers. Dunkin' Donuts, I love a Boston Cream Filled. I'm a sucker for Boston Cream Filled Donuts. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Those of you in Athens or coming to Athens sometime in the future, I'm going to shamelessly plug uh my favorite donut place right now is Cafe Racer. So it's a little trailer with two drive throughs in it in Arnoldsville, just a 15-minute drive outside of Athens. Go out there and eat their donuts. They are just stupid good, stupid, stupid good. I had a creme brulee, like uh, Boston cream-filled creme brulee donut, and it, it changed my life. Um, definitely go check it out. But Abby asks... What's the one fall seasonal beer that you're looking forward to enjoying this season? Do you have a favorite, I, beer, favorite fall beer? I mean, I'm a big, I'm a big Oktoberfest guy. I, I really, mm-hmm. for American Oktoberfest, I really like Sierra Nevadas. Uh, for a German, I, I mean, pretty much all of them. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, uh, I really love uh, like a Kolsch, and a Kolsch is you mm. know, it's, it's more of a dry like a, mm-hmm. a Lagerdale, but. A lot of people associate those types of beers with like summer, but I really love a Kolsch in the like the fall months. Uh, I really just love them all the time. But uh, check them out; they're delicious. Next one: What is the Redcoat halftime show this year? Well, there are several. Uh, the first one is like old school Georgia artists, so playing like yeah, Ray Charles and I think some um, 
Gladys Knight and the Pips, Midnight Train to Georgia kind of stuff. Um, the first home game is the anniversary of September 11th, so we're going to do a September 11th show. Oh, yeah. Then we're going to do, I think, the second one is a another sing-along show. We did like a sort of Gen X sing-along show with Journey and stuff. And this year we're going to do, I think, a like Lady Gaga, uh, not Lady Gaga, but like Diva sing-along show. <laughs> And then the third show, Gaga. I don't think I can talk about yet because we're not totally sure on a couple of the details of it. And uh, which home field shirts are you wearing this week in pre- uh, preparation for the Clemson game? I'm wearing my leaning dog shirt because I think his attitude towards life and his general just sort of like meanness is powerful. Mm, he looks like absolutely. a mean man. And that's that's what I'm <laughs> trying to be when it comes to the Clemson game. Yeah, I just like the classic, uh, that classic all fours dog I love him. That's the of the two shirts that I got. That one is my favorite. Uh, I'd like to get a standing dog, and I would really like to get a red coat shirt. But it kind of feels uh, like I'm cheating a little bit because I've never red coat myself. But ah, uh, now you can get a red coat shirt. Yeah. So if you could make an ultimate game day tailgate playlist for CBC fans to get pumped for UGA football, what would be on it? Give me a couple of them, like one or two. Okay, I think or whatever. I would have some electronica. I would have some like Zeppelin, sort of old school stuff. But I think I would probably just lean really like Georgia centric and go with like uh, lots of Outcast, lots of Killer Mike, Move Some Run the Jewels, mm-hmm. Ying Yang Twins. Um, I mean, Nuck if you buck for sure. I feel Obviously. like that you could make that the fight song. Um, <laughs> hey, in the middle of the barn is another good one. And Georgia artist. I think, you know, you could get weird and put some like drive by truckers and widespread panic on there. If you wanted to get real out there for a game, this would be weird for a game day playlist, but you could do like some neutral milk hotel of Montreal stuff. I think of Montreal, yeah. of Montreal has some <laughs> upbeat stuff, right? It, neutral do, yeah. hotel would be kind of a bummer. Like, hey, we're getting ready for this football game. You guys want to think about the, your worst regrets of your adolescence? <laughs> You want to think about all the like all the intimacy you had in your adolescence that didn't pay off or whatever. Uh, so yeah, but I, I think I my game day playlists are always like very Georgia centric. Like oh, definitely Migos, right? Like Quavo mm-hmm. for sure. Need some Migos. Anything he touches, right? What do you think? <laughs> um, I am one of my my longest running pump up songs has always been Suit and Tie from justin timberlake mm. for some reason i just really mm-hmm. feel it um i like it a lot i also really really love uh carly ray jepson <laughs> and okay. i really love okay. uh how upbeat and intense all of her music is and it's yeah. just kind of one of those it's one of those things that's like unashamed to be pop music mm-hmm. which is my favorite kind of pop music i i would probably um, do some yeah. do some churches in that same yeah. vein mm-hmm there's also a really great Spotify playlist I love called Running Playlist to Fuel My Main Character God Complex. And it is a fantastic pump-up playlist that I suggest mm. anybody should follow. It's just by somebody, usernamed just Katie. Ryan Clark. Ryan Clark asks. He actually, so his, here's an over-under for us. A few over-unders. Uh, Georgia seven and a half yards lost over bad spots by the refs. <laughs> uh, probably under. It's going to not, it's going to be less than seven and a half, but way more impactful. It's going to be like, three quarters of a very impactful yard is this game known for anything like that any kind of uh or first games is there any kind of uh stigma attached to first games or this stadium of this game georgia just has gotten the wrong end of that stick so many times oh yeah georgia 44 and a half yards of penalties over really you think so Mm -hmm. i'll say under i'll say under. (laughs) i'll be i'll try to be upbeat somewhere 
I talked you out of it real quickly, huh? And then um, <laughs> the last one is uh, 46,382 and a half times you want to slap the self-righteousness right out of Dabo Swinney. Oh, way over. Pound the over. Windmill slam the over. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, next question comes from John Luca Dogs. Convince me that this game will come down to something other than who has a more effective pass rush. I don't think it's Maybe about just the, it. the, the efficacy of the pass rush. I think it's about just efficacy, efficacy of online in general. I think if you can get yeah. a run game going, if you're Georgia, that you have a shot. Epistomizer asks, Aaron Murray's comments that our offense will be same old UGA offense because we just don't have the personnel at wide receiver to be better. Didn't we have guys getting open last year and not just the five stars who are injured or coming off injuries? Is he doing reverse psychology? <laughs> I mean, the two options is he's either doing reverse psychology or he's an idiot. I like doing reverse psychology just as a thing to say. Are you doing reverse psychology to me? I like the action, the actionable feeling of that. Ian asks, top five games as far as hype goes in your tenure as a fan, not including this one. Where does this one fall if it makes the list? Well, it's at least three, right? Because national championship. It's yeah. probably, if, it, if it's on the top five, it's probably like five. Because you've got Natty, Rose Bowl, um, 2017, uh, SEC 2018 SEC mm-hmm. and then the Auburn rematch yeah yeah and then probably I would say this game's probably fifth I loved 2012 I loved 2018 SEC championships and then yeah you're right uh of course Rose Bowl Natty yeah and then this yeah this is up there for sure all right so that's actually our SCBC but we did have my god we have so much chaotic energy now just like book ending this episode uh we have the Dr. James Bearfield Troll Corner presented by Cheerwine. It's the wine that gives you diabetes, TM, TM, TM. And he has a few here. Uh, first one being, is magic a sport? And I, I went ahead and I copied and pasted the definitions of sport just so we could kind of, you know, um, bring a little bit more order into uh, the madness that is Dr. James Bearfield. Is magic a sport? And he is referring to, I believe, I assume, Magic the Gathering, the card game, not the kind of illusions you do on stage or on the streets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but interested to hear <laughs> if you would regard one as uh, a sport and one not so much a sport. I, I, I mean, I don't think it's a sport. I mean, physical exertion, <laughs> right? Like esports are sports because they require, like in D and D turns, high dexterity. But magic, you can uh-huh. play asleep, basically, as long as your mind's awake, right? doesn't take a lot of physicality. <laughs> he also asks, do we win? Well, I already, said, I already said no. <laughs> Sorry. And then if Justin Ross doesn't make an impact in this game, what is your predicted score? Oh, then, yeah, we win. If, mm-hmm. if, if, if Justin Ross doesn't score a touchdown, I think we might, we might win by 10 points. That's true. Yeah, that actually brings my Clemson score down to 17 instead of 24 at that point. Yeah. So it'd be Georgia 28, Clemson 17 if Justin Ross is completely um, void of like impact. Like if, if he just uh, doesn't, if he just has like, you know, two catches for 19 yards or something, then yeah. That'd be cool. That'd be super cool. <laughs> uh, and then our very last section, uh, which is quickly becoming its own, you know, segment here is uh, what you've, you've dubbed as Yara's Rage Against the Machine. So Yara being uh, a red coat that has uh, a, a newfound love of football um, and, and football knowledge uh, is coming in with just a slew of questions that I'm just going to hate. Many you of you them, ready. many of them quite chaotic. Yeah, oh, uh, yes. Very much chaotic. Like very like it's a stand in for the Dr. James Beerfield troll corner, but may one day be uh, giving it a run for its money very much so. So the first question, what's your fave red coat section and why? There's only one correct answer. Yeah, Sousaphone. So next question. Duh. What's your most controversial college football opinion? Uh, if Bo Nix was black, he would be playing tight end. 
That's true. Do you think our Lord and Savior JT Daniels is going to win a Heisman this year? Why or why not? I mean, I I think he has a really good shot. I think if you take any one person versus the field this year, it's got to be the field just in terms of there's mm-hmm. no clear front runner. So probably not. But I think he's in the top four or five guys that can do it. Okay. Okay. What game are you most excited for this season? What game are you least excited for this season? I'm very excited for the Florida rematch. Mm-hmm. I'm not excited for Georgia Tech because I don't know. I just don't like Miss playing Georgia them. Tech. Yeah. Okay. It's just I, like it's a not, I'm not even like I'm not I'm not apprehensive about it. I'm just like whatever. In your honest opinion, do you think we will go to the Natty? As much as I want to, I definitely think it will be an uphill battle. I feel like if we play well this season, though, it's definitely possible. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's an uphill battle for anybody who has as hard a schedule as we do. Although ours is not actually that hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly so yeah other than the start i i don't know that i think you would probably bet against it if you took like uga versus the field i think mm-hmm. you know uga is probably a pretty good bet in terms of just like what the money line is though so i don't know i mean <laughs> i if you asked do i think uga will make the college football playoff then i would say yes right but yes. the, the natty you got to win a game right What's your opinion on oatmeal? Asking because my roommate thinks I'm wrong for hating oatmeal. I think oatmeal is high variance, right? I think I'm a I'm a big cream of wheat guy, <laughs> but even bigger. Okay, if you okay, th- just get ready. This is this is a, a weird. This thing is the that one I that just set happened. Him off. To, yeah, that I just happen to know about. <laughs> I, I'm kind of an oatmeal guy, but sometimes oatmeal is a little heavy for me. But if you ever have the opportunity to either be in Canada or just order it online, it's very expensive. But there's this stuff called Red River Red River cereal. Uh, I believe it's a Canadian brand. Um, you can buy it on uh, Amazon for some like ab- exorbitant amount of money, uh, but it is it is sort of like a more I don't know how to say like a more textured uh, yeah it's a it's a more textured oatmeal right it has it more like uncut grains in it <laughs> and it is just so good. Uh, my family and I would go fishing at this like fishing lodge in Canada when I was younger, and every morning we mm-hmm. would have Red River cereal with like butter and. Uh, brown sugar and raisins and stuff and it's so good i i I think sometimes oatmeal is just like a little slimy right a little slimy for my guest (laughs) i love oatmeal personally love some no i like it i Uh, like it but but yeah i I, it's not my favorite but yeah red river red river original all natural hot cereal it's the only way to fly you've had a really a lot of really great quotes in this show but i really i don't know why but Oatmeal is very high variance and oatmeal is a little heavy for me are both two quotes that I hope I never forget that came out of your mouth. (laughs) They're just very wholesome and out of place, it seems. Well, yeah, you know, you eat oatmeal in the morning and then you're basically saying like, well, I'm not going to do any cardio today, or at least I do. (laughs) Okay, uh, back into it. What's your biggest piece of advice for the dogs for this game? I mean, block the offensive line. That's the thing. Like, if the offensive line has a good day and keeps a clean pocket, then we're probably going to win, right? So, uh, what are your favorite? What's your favorite place to eat in Athens? I'm slowly discovering the city post cursed COVID freshman year, and I'm curious to know where to eat. For someone on a budget, which I I don't want to assume that they are on a budget, but as a college student, probably. Mm-hmm. Let so let's try to keep these sort of like college student accessible. Uh, uh I mean Hilo is uh got some pretty cheap food that's that's quite good kind of a towny atmosphere based on what i know about yara i think they would like it i would say mm-hmm. world famous uh also world famous all day a little bit more expensive but definitely well worth your time um let's see siri thai out on the east side it's very good thai Ooh. food T- taste of india if you want something a little bit more oh one that's actually pretty cheap if you want something um a little bit more exotic by most people's taste is manawinta 
Yes, um, I was about to say man Ethiopian, Ethiopian food over on the east side by Choo Choo's. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, obviously Choo Choo's. Also, go check out uh, Rashi's. Rashi's is outstanding. R-A-S-H-E-S. Uh, she has a brick and mortar store over uh, far on the east side. Uh, but it's it's just killer. Uh, I want to say it's Jamaican and or yeah, Barbados. Yeah, I think it's I think it's like Caribbean. Kelly's Jerk in the similar in name. Kelly's Jerk is very good. Oh, uh, for Latin American food, uh, Tlaloc is mm-hmm. pretty cheap. And I think it's it's the best Mexican slash El Salvadoran slash Honduran food. Uh, potato taquitos are really good. They have really good pupusas that you can get either vegetarian oh, yes. or with meat. Uh, Pupusa Trio, oh, the only way to fly. Pupusa Trio, that's uh, that was my nickname in high school. Yeah. Uh, last question here. Do you have any advice for socializing post-pandemic because a bitch is struggling? <laughs> well, I think you have to know. Oh. I think you have to. I think it's important that you know that. And I think yes. if you are going to go into a situation that you know is going to cause you anxiety sometimes that's unavoidable because of just you know you're in red coats and sometimes there's just social situations you have to be in but i think in terms of social situations that you choose you know i think it's okay to say i'm comfortable with x but not with y right so mm-hmm. you know sort of tailoring your social experience and trying to be a more active participant in your own social life i think is something that i didn't really learn to do until i was like in my 30s honestly and so kind of really thinking about and I hate to use this term because it's a little over overused, but just like what brings you joy? Like, what do you like to mm-hmm. do? And then like pushing that, right? So, you know, yeah. outside of red coats or things that you have to do, what are the things that you would would do if you could, right? And then really pushing into what are those experiences? I would only add that uh, you, you can be you can be proactive about those situations. If you know you're going to be entering, if you know, for instance, like you have a whole day where you're going to, have to be socializing with people, make sure you make time for yourself to also do something you do really enjoy, like Nathan is saying, like, uh, or be intentional about being able to remove yourself or go to the bathroom a little while longer. You know, there's, there's a few things that, that I will do definitely. Um, and those are, those are those things. Um, and I'll also try and, um, I'll plan some things for myself. Like I'll bring along the, like a, like a book or I'll make sure that I've downloaded a dumb game to play on my phone because that really helps me to kind of recenter. Like those things really help me sometimes. No, you can't always do all those different things, but um, and also just being honest and open with people because a lot of people are also struggling and it might be something that you can really relate on together. I think a lot of times it's easy to build up when there's something that you don't want to do. It's easy to build it up in your head as a source of anxiety. And I think sometimes what you'll find is that when you tell people you know, for instance, this, this seems like a lot to me and it's, and I, I'm not sure that I, you know, in with what we have planned, I'm not sure that it's like healthy for me to do this. A lot of times people mm-hmm. are also feeling that way or they're mm-hmm. very happy to change their plans because something to remember is that when you are around people who are hanging out with you, that are your friends, like they don't want to hang out. They want to hang out with you. Right. So yeah, I, I think people tend to think of plans as being non-negotiable when plans are really just sort of the structure under which that we get to spend time with each other. Right. And so if you mm. get caught up in the idea that like, Oh, if I change someone's plan, cause this is a, this is a huge thing that I do. Like I am really big about like, if I say I'm going to do something, I want to follow through. And so mm. it's really hard for me sometimes to say, well, this really is making me uncomfortable or this like really is stressing me out the idea of doing this, right? When I find that when I say those things that people are usually like, well, yeah, let's not do it. Like, I just want to hang out with you and that's what I care about, right? So mm-hmm. I think, like you said, being forthright, being honest is a huge thing. 
Uh, and that's the, the whole show. That's what we'll end on. How nice. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to see us out? I would love to. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else you can subscribe to a podcast. You can get in touch with us on Facebook by searching Chapel Bell Curve, by email at chapelbellcurve.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at Chapel Bell Curve. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a rating and review on wherever your finest podcasts are served. If you loved today's Ooh. episode, even more than liked it, even more than enjoyed it, if you loved it and you want to be a part of this this awesome community, you can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Chapel Bell Curve. For as little as $1 a month, you can support the podcast and join a growing community on Discord. So with that said, we'll catch you in Charlotte or the Classic City next week. And until then, mm-hmm. go, go dogs. Go dogs.